church this morning. I'd like to say good morning to all of you who joined us on our uh, live stream this morning on YouTube or uh, on our podcast. So thank you guys so much for joining us. We're excited to have you here this morning. And guys, we've got a uh, pretty packed schedule, so we're going to jump right into it. And if you would, uh, let's welcome Miss Anita for Children's Church. morning everyone. I had a tough time coming up with a, uh, a topic for this morning. Either God was talking to me and I was too hard-headed and I wasn't listening or I wasn't understanding, but during my devotions I came across something and everything just kind of came into place. A doctor devoted as much of a time as he could to a charity clinic. One day an elderly gentleman was ushered into the doctor's private offices downtown. Remember me, doctor, the man asked. You treated me over at the clinic. I've come into some money lately, and I can afford to pay for the services of a doctor now. The doctor said, but what made you want to come to me? I wasn't the only doctor who treated you at the clinic. I know, the old man said quietly, but you were the only one who helped me with my coat. That gave this Christian doctor an opening to talk with his patient. I work in retail, and boy, do I see a lot. Kids come in screaming, yelling, they knock things off the shelves. They take clothes off the hangers. They even knocked a cane out of a lady's hand. That hurts when I see children acting that way. But on the other hand, I see a young girl that goes up and picks up that cane and gives it to the, the lady. I saw a boy that saw a sweater on the floor, picked it up, and put it on the hanger. I saw some young kids that picked up toys that were all over the floor and put them on the shelf. The actions speak louder than words. I had another young boy that came through the register. He had spent all morning looking for a special gift for his mom for Christmas. He gets up to the register, gets out his wallet, counts out all of his money, digs into his pocket, gets out all of his coin, added it all up, and he was $2 short. Now the cashiers know me. They know I would never let anybody leave being $2 short. So they call me over. But then what happened was a teenage boy right next in the second cashier over, he noticed what was going on. He dug in his pocket and gave that young boy a $5 bill and said, Merry, Merry Christmas. That young boy went running after him and said, Thank you, thank you, thank you, and you have Merry Christmas too. Being a Christian is not just a word. The definition of the word Christian is a person who believes in the teachings of Jesus Christ and who has accepted Christ into their heart. 
but it doesn't stop there. Jesus changes us from the inside out. We need to share the love of Jesus. Now, those kids that I came in contact with at work, I don't know if they had Christ in their heart, but the actions were showing that they were really, really good kids. Just like our kids that went to camp, how many compliments did we get that our kids were so well-behaved at camp? It is the actions of our love for Christ that opens doors so that others will learn to love him. In second service today, we're going to learn about some men who believed in Christ so much, they did something very, very unusual. Have a good day, and remember, God loves you. Thank you, Miss Anita. Kids, make sure you're back there for second service. You don't want to miss out on that. So, church, just a couple of uh, announcements before we get started this morning. Just a reminder that we are having a sock and beanie drive. So we are collecting socks and beanies for those in need in our area. And we would ask that you please place your donations in the foyer. Uh, There's a box out there labeled for the drive. We have the I'll Be Home for Christmas brunch on December 11th at 9.30 a.m. for all of the ladies and the children here at Home Church. So for... For each pair of socks for the sock drive, you will be entered in a raffle. So this is a potluck, and there is a sign-up sheet in the foyer. We are also going to be having Bible study starting during second service. So Mike Machozik will be leading a Bible study uh, starting second service in the history room, and this is going to start next Sunday, December the 5th. We have our Christmas Eve service coming up on December the 24th. And Home Church is going to be putting on a Christmas play this year, so we're encouraging you to invite your whole family to come out and join us for that. Uh, Speaking of, we have our Christmas play practice in the gym after second service today, so that's going to be for anybody that is going to be involved with the play this year. And then just a reminder for our children's area, so the hallway that is back here Um, That is only for home church children's staff and parents who are permitted to be in that area. Uh, All others must go outside and cross over the uh, patio if you guys need to access the other side of the church. So please keep that in mind. And last but not least, we have our Christmas card boxes that are in the foyer uh, where our future welcome center is going to be. So feel free to put your Christmas cards in the boxes in alphabetical order by last name. And don't forget to check them throughout the Christmas season and pick up any cards that are addressed to you. All right, church, we are ready to go into our time of giving and worship. So if you would all bow your heads with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day, God. We give you all the praise and the glory to be able to come together and celebrate you and learn more about you, God. Lord, as we collect our tithes and offerings this morning, I pray that you would just bless these offerings, Lord, and use them to further your kingdom and your work here. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so very much, Mike. Appreciate that. So today is the uh, first Sunday of Advent. Amen. Thank you. Yes. It's a good thing. 
Yeah, as we light this candle, I'd like to have uh, uh, Jane, um, Bev, and Amy, if you could make your way up. And it doesn't matter who lights it. be this one here. Isaiah 9, 2, 6 through 7 says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the deep darkness. A light has dawned for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. Thank you, ladies. Let's all stand this morning. with us this morning as we sing out this song holy 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 
you all but what a beautiful song that was amen Amen. to give some some time to really just worship who he is but I don't know about you uh, these last few days man I've been doing nothing but um, let's just say eating (laughs) and uh, so some of you I know you probably looking like man we got a new pastor this morning or what's up it's still me pastor Carlos I just gained a few pounds that's all but we're going to lose some weight this morning. Who's ready to worship Jesus? Amen. Amen. God, I'm on my knees again. God, I'm begging, please again. I need you. Oh, Lord, I need you. Walking down these desert roads, water for my thirsty soul. I need you. Oh, Lord, I need you. God, I'm on my knees.
thing that ever really makes me want to change. I don't want to abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. I don't want to abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that Together. Help me, help me go. Yeah, I say, I don't want to abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. I say, I don't want to abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. Your forgiveness, yeah. It's like sweet, sweet honey. It's like holy water on my skin, yeah. Your forgiveness is like sweet, sweet honey on my lips. It's like the sound of a symphony to my ear. It's like holy water on my skin. Sing it out to him this morning. I said, Your forgiveness is like sweet, sweet honey on my lips. It's like the sound of a symphony to my ears. It's like holy water on my
Just ready to tell someone about Jesus this morning. Amen. A one, a two, three, four. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all it's stealing. And you're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He makes a way where there ain't no way. Rises love from an empty grave. Ain't no sinner that he can't save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is free. And the good news is I know that he can do for you.
going to sing that chorus one more time. And as we do that, Barb, if I can have you come down and say a blessing over the sermon this morning. you Jesus we thank you for this beautiful season where we can anticipate the birth of the Christ child we thank you Lord for all that you do for us and the main thing is that you can save us you can save anybody and any place anytime and we pray that here at home church your word would go forth so that people will see that now is the time to come to Jesus. We worship you and praise you. We thank you for this beautiful service, and we pray that you would give Pastor Carlos that anointing today as he delivers your message because we know that it comes straight from the Holy Spirit within him. So hide him behind the cross and may everyone have an ear to hear what the Spirit says through him. We love you, Lord. We praise your holy name, and we say hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, amen. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. Thank you. Can we give a hand to our worship team? Amen. Thank you so very much, you guys. Amen. Barb, what a beautiful prayer. I love it when Barb prays. Amen. Amen. And uh, uh, so, again, we want to say welcome to Home Church. If you're visiting with us online, we are so glad to have you. Uh, my name is Pastor Carlos, but this morning we have a very special, uh, not just a guest, but he is a uh, member here at our church. And here at Home Church, we believe in discipleship, dedication, duplication. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm expecting and seeing great things for him and his beautiful wife. Uh, who knows Matt and Amanda? Amen. Amen. And so this morning, uh, please, uh, please give a hand to Matt as he comes, takes the stage. Amen. Good morning. So we're going to talk today about keeping faith 
um, how we fight through false gospels, and how we manage to maintain our faith through times of trial and lies and everything that can come against it. The title of the sermon today is Fight and Win. The more biblical terms that we're going to be using throughout the day are contend and persevere. I just didn't know if anybody would show up for the contend and persevere speech. (laughs) So fight and win. Uh, We're going to be doing today a survey of the book of Jude. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you want to pop them open or turn them on, (laughs) we're going to be going through the entire book of Jude essentially today, which is that little one chapter book right before Revelation. So if you see maps, you've gone too far. If you see anything other than Revelation and maps, you've not gone far enough. And Jude is writing this book to tell us how it is that we contend or fight for our own faith and then end up persevering in it. We have a main text that we're going to be looking at today where he actually explains it. And so we're going to go over that and then zoom out. So Jude, it's all chapter 1, verses 17 to 23. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in their most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. That'll be our primary text that we break down. But first, if you have sat through any of my sermons, you know that uh, I won't do anything without context. So we have to talk through the book of Jude. And when Amanda and I teach the youth, this is basically what we do to break down these things. We have to ask our question words. So who wrote the book of Jude? Jude. (laughs) You can tell because sometimes it's called the letter of Jude, not the letter to Jude. (laughs) Right? So Jude wrote this book. Uh, Who's Jude? So in verse 1, he introduces himself. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. What we have to realize is how weird it was in 60-ish AD to introduce yourself as the brother to anybody. This is a patriarchal system, not a, I don't even know what you would call it, a sibling-archal system. (laughs) Nobody's walking around going, that's my brother. They're all saying, that's my dad. So when you see somebody say, I am a brother of James, it means that James is famous. This is why people think that the James that he is the brother of is the writer of the book of James, (laughs) which would make Jude the half-brother of Jesus Christ. You've probably heard of him. (laughs) Now, I don't ever say this so that you will walk around thinking, well, he's the half-brother of Christ. He had the same parents in the upbringing, he's probably pretty knowledgeable knowledgeable about it. I say this because the brothers of Christ have a very unique position in the Bible. They don't believe in who Jesus is. 
Three out of the four Gospels have an account where Mary and the brothers show up to one of Jesus' teachings and they try to bring him home because he's talking crazy. These are not people who were following him and walking on water. So the entire life, ministry, miracles of Jesus Christ, Jude is a skeptic at best. But then he has an encounter with the living Christ. Part of what makes this book so reliable is that we have people like Paul or Jude or James who walked around and said, no, this doesn't make sense. Paul's persecuting people. They have a relationship. They have an experience with the risen Christ and their mind changes. And this is why Jude is writing this book. So when is about 60 AD, they didn't date letters the same way we do now, and also nobody was calling it 60 AD <laughs> at the time. That doesn't come for a long time after. Uh, we have to figure out who this book was written for. It's not entirely known. He doesn't address it, but it is steeped in Old Testament theology and old Jewish uh, what am I trying to say, writings that are not even in the Old Testament. So we can assume that this is written to a Jewish audience. And lastly, and most importantly, why did he write this book? So he writes it, as we'll see in verses 3 and 4, he explains why he's writing this. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. It seems like a lot because he wrote in Greek and it's translated. But man, this is one of the most relatable verses in the Bible. Has anybody ever wanted to just share joy with somebody, but you have to have a hard conversation instead? Yes? If your parents, I know you have. You've probably come in and been like, I really want to talk to my kid about this present I just bought him, but his room isn't clean. Is that just my mom? <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> we have really good kids here. There's this moment where he says, I want to share in what we have in common. I want to write to you about how great our joy and our future is with the everlasting promises that we have from God because of our belief in Jesus Christ. I want to tell you about salvation. I want to tell you about heaven. I want to tell you about forgiveness. But because you have adopted a false gospel, I have to ask you and beg you to fight for your own faith that was handed to you. It's insane. The emotional roller coaster that comes out of these two verses. And what are these false gospels? He lists this one. We're going to talk about two others. He says that these are people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. And deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. What this is talking about are people who have said, well, 
God paid the debt. Jesus has forgiven us. Therefore, let's sin. Who cares how we live? Jesus took care of it. This is something that is common through this time period. Paul writes about it. Where he says, should we sin more so that grace will grow? May it never be. This is something that we see today. Where people say, it doesn't matter how you live. Because Jesus has freed you. Jesus has not freed you to sin. Jesus has freed you to live a righteous life. To be a holy people. To have the ability to live righteously and to grow in his name. Two other false gospels that were super common then. You may or may not be familiar with Roman mythology, uh, but it has more than one God. Yes? (laughs) So this is something that happened a lot where people said, well... I mean, Jesus sounds pretty good. He's probably a way or a truth. But we say Jesus Christ is the way and the truth. Amen? This is something else that we see now. And then lastly, there's a group not addressed here, primarily addressed in John's letters, where people called Gnostics said, we can't know the truth. We are fleshly creatures, how could we ever know a spiritual truth? Of course, in common human interaction, what they really said was, you can't know a spiritual truth, but our leaders can. (laughs) That's not the gospel here. These three false gospels are things that we see today. We have people today who think that sin is fine, Have you ever heard somebody say there is a God of the Old Testament and he is full of wrath and there is a God of the New Testament and he is full of mercy? That's a false gospel. We have now a a resurgence of this idea of a universal Christ, which says, yeah, Christ can take you to salvation and to heaven. He is one out of many paths to the same destination. That is a false gospel. And then we have this idea that has been growing since the 1960s or so called postmodernism, which says there is no objective truth. We can only have subjective truth in ourselves. If you ever encounter somebody who tells you that, just ask them, is that true? Thank you. The rest of you will catch up on that one. <laughs> so we face these same false gospels that Jude is facing today, which means that this is a book that we can take and apply directly. And so we are going to take this book and we are going to apply it directly. So verses 5 is going to give us his primary theme, which is persevere. And in this, Jesus says, now I... Jesus says, sorry, that was a... (laughs) Begins with a J. Jude says... Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So two things. Uh, One, if anybody ever tells you that there are two gods in the Bible, there's a God of the Old Testament, and then Jesus comes in, Jude 5 is a perfect rebuttal of that, because it says Jesus saved the people out of the land of Egypt, and that happened way in the beginning. 
So we have Jesus who is saving these people out of bondage or slavery in Egypt. And as these people travel through the wilderness, they lose their faith in his provision and they fail to persevere. So they fail to get their reward. And this should sound very familiar because we have been freed by Jesus from slavery to sin. And now we are stuck wandering this wilderness and we have a promise an everlasting promise from God, we have to persevere. We have to fight through these things because the Israelites failed massively, multiple times. But the one that they are specifically talking about is when they see something that they feel they cannot conquer. They send spies to Canaan and they say, these people are big and we don't stand a chance. When you fail to believe in the provision of God, you will fail to persevere. And when you fail to persevere, you will fail to inherit the promises given to you. The next few verses, Jude 6 through 16, we're going to just kind of wrap through quickly. We have five more examples of entities who should have had faith but failed, both human and angelic, and God's punishment of them. We get one example of somebody who did really well in the Archangel Michael. And then finally it ends with a rebuking of false teachers, calling them trees without fruit and clouds without rain. The point of all of this can be summed up, though, in that you must persevere in the truth because false teachings are useless. They produce no fruit. They produce no rain. They only appear to be useful clouds or trees. And now we get into our main body text, Jude 17 to 19. He's been telling us that we need to persevere, and this is when he starts explaining how. So 17 to 19. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. So here's the thing, is the apostles knew that this was going to happen. How did they know it was going to happen? Because they're people. And when people are uh, confronted with truth, we have three options. We can, we can accept it wholly. And in that acceptance, change what we think about ourselves and the world around us to fit that truth. We can reject it wholly, where we say that we don't believe that is the truth and therefore nothing we believe has to change, or we can accept it partially, where we say we think that's the truth, but let me shape it to fit my own ideas. The apostles knew this would happen, that people would take the truth and they would shape it to fit their own ideas about how the world works. But this should be super comforting to us. We tend to always think that we live in a very unique point of history. 
We walk around thinking that 2021 is different than any other time in, I almost said American history, but in global human history. And that is a very easy thought to maintain until you study history. These false gospels that we face today were faced in 60 AD. You are not alone in any struggles that we have when we feel that we have to fight culture with our own truth. When we take a truth and we say we will adapt the world to it instead of adapting our truth to the world, you are not alone. You have 2,000 years of people who have been facing these same issues, who have contended or fought and persevered or won. And we can look to these people to see how it's done. So we get into the real nuts and bolts of this whole thing. As Jude tells us how to fight false teachings internally, meaning your own faith practice, and externally, how you deal with other people. So in Jude 20 to 21, he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So he has now given us four ways of dealing with internal faith questions. Number one, build your faith. This is not a passive request. He does not say allow your faith to grow. Build your faith. And how do we do that? A lot of ways. I'm going to recommend three. Fellowship with believers. Meet and hang out with people who are also going through trying times, who also deal with false gospels, and maintain their faith. It will build yours. Number two, apologetics. I think it is very important to understand how science and philosophy all point to the fact that there is a God. Because sometimes it is difficult to maintain your faith only emotionally. And then three, and I saved the most important one for last, read this book. You will not recognize false teachings if you have not read this book. This book tells you about who God is, what he wants for his people, and what his plan is. And if you are not familiar with this book, get familiar with it. And while you're getting familiar with it, hang out with people who are familiar with it. That is the only way you're going to be able to identify people who are distorting the truth of this book. Number two, pray in the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 says that the Holy Spirit intercedes on your behalf when your groanings are too low for words. If you are in a position where grief has struck you so profoundly that you can't articulate it, you don't have to. Pray through the Holy Spirit, groan to God. If you are in a spot of pure joy and elation that you can't adequately put into words, don't. But do not use that as an excuse not to come before God in prayer and praise. If you lean on God in good times and in bad times, 
you will be in a spot to face your own faith issues with false gospels. Number three, keep yourself in the love of God. John 13 says the world will recognize you, meaning believers, by your love for one another. We need to love each other so well that when people look in at us, they say something is different, but I don't know what. And I'll tell you something, if enough Christians would love one another and others in such a way that it was a stark difference, it wouldn't be long before people would look at you and say something's different and I do know what. Because they love each other differently. They abide in the love of God who has sacrificed himself for you. If you abide so deeply in the love of God that it becomes obvious to the world, you can fight your own misgivings of faith and false gospels. And number four, it's the easiest one in some ways, but the hardest in a lot is wait for Jesus. The problem that most of us get with our faith is faith in his faithfulness. The Israelites in the wilderness thought, we can't beat these people. Adam and Eve thought, God might not take care of us. Let's gain some knowledge here. Exiles, uh, if you read through Jeremiah, went to Egypt. God said, return. They said, "Uh, I don't think there's enough provision there. It's hard to rely on God. But relying on him remembering his faithfulness will lead you away from false gospels. Now, these four things, they're not individual tasks. I'm not telling you to make a check mark and go, okay, well, I, I've been building my faith. Prayer's a little low. Uh, I may not be loving people well, but I am waiting on Jesus. So, hey, two out of four is not bad. <laughs> this is a collective set of habits for a lifestyle of faith. It's not a buffet. You have to take it all. When you abide yourself in the love of God and understand the love of God, you will accept his faithfulness and wait for Christ and you will be praying in the Holy Spirit and building your own faith. These co-mingle. We move on to Jude 22 to 23 where he talks about how to deal with external faith issues. He says, And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So now we have three different groups of people. We have those who doubt, which might be new believers. It might be people who are kind of leaning towards a false gospel, who don't quite understand where their message is off. And it says, beat them in the head with good doctrine. No, it says have mercy. How much easier is it to judge people mercilessly than to have mercy on people who disagree with you? You have to have mercy on these people because... They're in danger. They have accepted or are leaning towards a false gospel. Have mercy on them. Number two, there are people who have left the gospel. 
uh, or they don't know it. We would say that they are in the fire. <laughs> what does it say to do? Snatch them from the fire. This does not say that if your brother does not believe in God, you don't get to talk to him about it on Thanksgiving. I know, it's awkward. It also doesn't say hit them over the head with good doctrine. But you have to be there and be with them in a way that leads them to Christ. And how do we lead people to Christ? You talk to them about them and you abide in the love of God in a way that showcases that you are different and you have something that they want. And third, we have a group that you approach in fear and mercy. Keep in mind, this still doesn't say that you get to just ignore them. You have to approach them with mercy, but fear. And what would you be afraid of? Your own ability to be corrupted. These are people who are so far gone that they are probably as likely to snatch you into the fire as you are to snatch them out. But you don't get to ignore them. You don't get to belittle them. You are called to have mercy and to approach with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And as a Jewish audience, these people would be very aware a Jewish and Christian audience, of how things transfer through clothes. That's why the Old Testament is steeped with ideas of leprosy. Don't touch their clothes. It doesn't say don't touch the person. Jesus healed somebody, and so did J uh, Peter, from having somebody touch their robe. What this is telling you is do not try to saddle up next to sin and see how close you can get. Don't worry, this is, this is my issue too. If you give me a rule, I will see how far it bends. <laughs> I will do my best not to break it, but I will bend it. <laughs> we, we like to do that, right? I, I have heard so many people go, okay, well, like, how much though before it's like real sin? How, how, how far can I get on this? And it's saying don't even touch the clothes, we are not effective Christians when we emulate the world so much that people from the world just hang out with us. And then we tell them, oh, we, we know something different. Do you? We become effective Christians when we showcase a contrast and an alternative to the way that they're living. When we become a holy people steeped in the righteousness of Christ. When we love people when we have mercy on people. So what does this text not allow us to do? This whole thing is set up telling us that we are not allowed to be passive believers. We are called to take action. We are called to build our own faith, to snatch people out of the fire. And there is no partial credit in this command. This is not a mix and match. You don't get to go, well, I snatched somebody out of the fire. I didn't really show mercy to that guy who believed different than me, but I was praying. Does that make sense? When you abide in the love of God, this is who you will become. And I don't mean that you have to 
accept Jesus Christ, get baptized, and the next day be out on the street snatching folks out of the fire. But there will be a transformation in your life. That transformation should be evident. And you should be walking around loving people enough to snatch them from the fire or to have mercy on those who doubt. We serve a wonderful, glorious, and living God. He did something impossible for anybody in this room. He lived a perfect life. He bore no sin except for yours. He died in a brutal and embarrassing way, and he did it so that when you die, which you will, and you stand before the almighty creator of the universe, which you will, you can either be soaked with the dirty water that you have held dirty of sin, or you get to put on the clothes, the cloths of Jesus and be bathed in his righteousness. That is a beautiful message. And when you have something that is beautiful and pure and perfect, you must fight for it to not be contaminated and changed and distorted. Fight for the beauty of this gospel message. Jude believed that this message was unchangeable in that way, that it was worth fighting for. Here's how you fight. So I'm going to leave you with the prayer that Jude uses to close his letter. It's verses 24 through 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you so very much, Matt. Appreciate that word. Amen. Good teaching this morning. Amen. Amen. Brother Andrew, if I could have you come down, we're going to um, have you say a blessing over the, uh, over the ser- sermon this morning. Andrew, you come, please, and say a blessing. Before I do that, um, I do want to... Uh, Really quick, um, how many you know we have a lot of people watch online every week, and one of those um, people is a very special lady who's here with us this morning who became a member a year ago, and uh, I believe it was a year ago, correct, Le- Leoni? It has been a year, but yeah, it has been about a year, and uh, she moved out of state but watches online with us, faithful uh, to our church, still calls us her home church even though she's miles and miles and miles away. What a beautiful thing. Can we please give a hand to Leon this morning? And may I add, I just want to throw this in here. Uh, these beautiful mugs right here, um, they're only $5. And uh, what's even better is when you pour your coffee in this, your coffee becomes anointed. Okay? So... Uh, please come, go purchase a mug. It's only five bucks. If you're visiting with us today, go get a free coffee. Let's all stand this morning. Andrew, if you can come down and uh, bless us as we dismiss this morning. Amen. Thank you, young man. You're welcome. I'll do my best to not screw it up.
Uh, dear Lord, uh, we are here uh, to worship and praise you. Um, Uh, I pray uh, that you uh, that you help our faith grow and that you uh, lead us away from false teachings and help us uh, and help us rescue sinners out of the fire I pray over everyone that is here today and I pray that you, uh, that you bless them. And <coughs> that you bless them. Thank you. And that you uh, keep them on the path to you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Be blessed this morning. Thank you.